This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Hello. Welcome, church. Welcome all our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton. Would you all please stand with me? This morning we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's our statement of faith and what we believe here. Before that, don't you love technology? It's good. When, when it works, it's cool. We can connect with our campuses all around and stuff. My friends can make fun of me when I miss the clock by one second. They're going to text me. And thankful to technology, I can get that text right away. Thank you so much for that. All right, where were we? Let's do the Apostle Creed. Say this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, yes, I'm Pastor Phil Gunger, one of the pastors here at the church. Our lead pastor is Mark Gunger. He is my father. And uh, he was actually traveling today. He was out in California and couldn't get back. Um, and so apparently a greyhound can't get you there fast enough. <laughs> if he was a greyhound, you wouldn't see him next week either, would you? Uh, but anyway, so but he wanted to send his love to all y'all. They say I kind of smile like him, so there's a, there's a smile for all of you. Uh, need to clap that. It's just a smile. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate it, though. Um, well, at this morning, though, we have a special guest, Miss Becky Schomer, who's going to come and share the word with us today. So would you please give her a warm welcome? Thank you. I love that he used the word special. It's a nice way to start the morning, isn't it? <laughs> Well, good morning, Celebration Church. Good morning to our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton. We love doing church with you. Um, Pastor Phil had kind of alluded to it, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Appleton campus. Most of us have heard that they moved locations in the last couple of weeks. What you may not know is that from the time the building got sold to the point at which they needed to have a service in a new space was six weeks of time. So Pastor Chad has just been working it hard, and he formed some great teams with the people in Appleton, and they have figured out how to just make church happen. They have a great new space in a wonderful neighborhood, so much potential to continue to reach people for the kingdom of God there. And we're so excited and so honored and so proud of you, Appleton. So kudos to you. We are blessed to be on the journey with you. We applaud you, yes. 
Uh, how many of you love a great journey? Can you remember the last time you went on a great journey? In September, my husband Keith and I, we went, uh, we took a little vacation, just the two of us, and we road tripped to Nashville, Tennessee. And yeah, woo, it was a great journey. Here's the thing, we had decided before this vacation that once we got back, we were gonna start eating healthy. Yeah, so you know what that means for the road trip, right? Every gas station that we stopped at, it was junk food and coffee. And I don't mean coffee like coffee drinkers drink, I mean coffee like a non-coffee drinker drinks, where you go in and you put so much creamer and flavor and all that stuff so you can't taste any coffee by the time it's done. But I gotta tell you, we were living large. So we headed out on this road trip, and if you remember back to September, it's not been a whole lot unlike our October, although this weekend is beautiful. Um, but you know, the weather wasn't exactly mm, lovely. So as we were on this road trip, we were maybe four hours south of Green Bay by the time we realized that the temperature outside was really, really warm. So we got excited about it and we started to roll down those windows and, oh, wait, 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 sorry. That was a road trip when I was a kid. Um, we did not roll down the windows. We pushed the button and the windows went down and then we opened up the sunroof and we cranked the country music because we were going to Nashville, baby. Now here's the thing. We don't really listen to country music, but I have decided that my husband must have a spiritual gift of country because it didn't matter what song we were listening to, he could sing almost all the words. It was uncanny. I couldn't believe it. And if he didn't know the words, he would start to make up these lyrics that seemed actually very fitting and just fit right with the melody of the song. I had no idea. So by the time we got to Nashville, I probably heard at least a hundred reasons why he was more rednecker than I was. <laughs> and I cannot argue with him at all. <laughs> so the funny thing is, I don't know if you're married, how it works in your marriage, but for Keith and I, when we go on these road trips, you know, 10 to 12 hours of time, um, how do I say this nicely? My dear sweet husband doesn't always capitalize on the opportunity that 10 to 12 hours in a vehicle can afford him for quality conversation with his wife. <laughs> you can relate. So before we took this particular journey, Keith had decided he was gonna write himself a little post-it note that said, you can talk to your wife and he was going to put it right there on the steering wheel so he wouldn't forget while we were traveling. Um, I couldn't help but notice when we got in the car that he didn't actually write that post-it note, but he did, however, several times as we were on this journey, I would hear him uttering to himself, I can talk to my wife, I can talk to my wife, I can talk to my wife. We're just kind of silly that way, you know, but here's the thing that made the journey truly great. We had just come through a crazy busy summer it was just one of those times where you know you hardly had time to breathe by the time we got to it and we we moved very quickly from this this crazy summer into a season of a lot of change and transition in our lives and i'm sure a lot of you can identify with this when we go through those those seasons of transition it sometimes just leaves you in this really weird headspace so as we were driving down to nashville we discovered that we had a lot of issues that we needed to start to talk through and we had to wrestle through some confusion that kind of took us by surprise over the last couple of months. But the cool thing is, as we did that, we were very intentional about looking at where we could see God in the middle of it all, what it was that he was showing us, and how we could continue to trust him as we navigated forward, keeping him as the GPS in our journey. And I have to tell you, it was a great, great journey. 
So today I want to take you through some great journeys in the Bible. I'm going to take you through three of them, in fact. My husband actually told me that it was important that I tell you that up front, because otherwise we're going to get through the second one, and you're going to think that we're almost done, and your stomach is going to start like rolling like it's ready for an early lunch, because we might be done soon, but that's not the fact. There is going to be a third story. My husband is a good thinking rednecker that way. Um, so I just wanted to tell you that. But let's jump into, um, let's jump into that first story. It is a story that is familiar, I would guess, to literally everybody in this room. It has been made into movies and cartoons and coloring books and many more things. It is the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, in order to truly embrace and understand the journey that they were on, it's important that we understand a few things about the Israelites. Now, the Israelites were God's chosen people. God had spoken promises over these people, okay? He had told them that they were going to be a great nation. He had told them that other nations would be blessed through them. He had promised them that they would have a land that was all of their own. But when we come into the story, they have at this time spent more than 400 years as slaves in Egypt. I want to pause here for a quick second because sometimes it's tempting when we hear stories like this to think of them as just that. These stories that happened a long time ago and they're great stories, but not something that we necessarily relate to. And if, honestly, at this point in time, um, slavery isn't, generally speaking, something we, of course, experience in our culture, but if we're being honest, the experience of being bound by something or being in bondage to something is something we can all relate to. Lying, cheating, lusting, drunkenness. We really don't have to think very hard to come up with a long list of those things that trip us up and bind us. We just aren't real accustomed to thinking of them in these terms and, and actually the terms that, that the Bible would use that. So I want to share this with you real quick in John 8:34. These are the words of Jesus. He says, Verily, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So you see, those sins, they don't only trip us up and bind us, they become cruel masters in our lives. And now here's the interesting thing. Life in Egypt was actually pretty good when the Israelites first showed up there. They had been experiencing a famine in their own land which led them to go to Egypt to try to get food. And they were given food, they were given a place to live, they were given a work to do. Most importantly, they had some really incredible favor with the Egyptians. But as time went by and leadership changed, their circumstances began to change as well. And at the time, of this particular story, they were sitting underneath the cruelty of a very, very difficult pharaoh in Egypt, and they were experiencing hardships like we would not want to begin to imagine. So I have to tell you the story of the Israelites. It reminds me of that story, I'm sure you've heard it, where they say if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it'll quickly jump out. But if you put a frog in a room temperature pot of water and you turn the heat, heat up, it will sit there and eventually it will cook itself to death. And I think of the Israelites that way and I wonder if that wasn't their situation. Things were pretty good and they were pretty comfortable and they were just coasting along. But fortunately, the Israelites are a little bit smarter than your average frog. So they did at some point finally realize, hey, 
the temperature's getting a little hot in here. It's getting a little unbearable. And it was at that point that they began to call out to God and ask him to help them, to save them, to rescue them. And God sends them Moses. Moses' goal is to go to Pharaoh and let him know that he is supposed to let the people free. He's supposed to give them their freedom. And we know the story from here, right? It's epic. It's why the movies were made out of it. There's incredible drama and these plagues and this, all these things that are going on. And it all culminates with what I honestly think is probably the most stunning miracle that has ever happened in history. And that is the parting of the Red Sea. But I want to take you a step back because it's important that we understand what God was doing in the journey of the Israelites leading up to the Red Sea. Okay, so imagine Pharaoh has had enough. The 10th plague, plague has happened. He tells them, you can go, send them out. And the Israelites have gathered up all of their things and their families and they've plundered from the Egyptians and they start walking, baby. They're walking in their freedom. And I imagine it had to be a very exciting time as an Israelite, but it was not long after those Israelites had started on their journey that you know what happened. Pharaoh changed his heart and he decided to send the armies after them. So God's people are walking, they're excited, and suddenly they see those old cruel masters behind them. You do know that's how it works, right? We get our mindset up that we're gonna break free of these sins, of these old masters of the bondage that we have. We're gonna do better, we're gonna be better, and it's not long. We can get some progress in there, but it's not long. And those old masters come walking our way again. So this is where we meet the Israelites, trying to pursue their freedom, their masters, in pursuit of them. And they come up across this incredible expanse of water. And what are they going to do? I began to think if I was an Israelite, I'd start looking for something that would float (laughs) in all of their belongings someplace. But the truth of the matter is there's a million of them. So I think I'd experience this moment of panic, but I love it because the Bible actually records what it is that Moses, their leader, says to them at this point. And it's this, Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. He says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Still. Now there's a little detail that I don't feel like the movies spell out all that clearly. If it were me, I would have expected Moses to say, fight or run or some other action, right? But he doesn't, he tells them, be still. And at this moment, the Bible records that God tells Moses to stretch his hand out over the Red Sea. And when he does that, God sends in a powerful, powerful east wind. And it blows all through the night, and it eventually clears a path literally through the Red Sea. So by the time the sun comes up the next morning, the Israelites have a dry path through which they can cross that Red Sea. The only action that the Israelites could take that night was inaction. This was God's work, my friends. And when God had completed the work, then the Israelites were able to cross that dry land and get their freedom. Now we know the rest of the story, right? Because we've seen it in the movies. They get to the other side. God sends the water rushing back over. It destroys the Egyptian army. The Israelites are on the other side with this great celebration, singing songs and dancing and rejoicing. And it's 
fitting, right? And I think to myself, whoa, that's a great journey. (laughs) But as I was preparing this message, I started to ask myself, why isn't that just the end of the story? It feels like a great ending, right? Things are going pretty good at this time. But I've got lots of pages left in my Bible after Exodus. So I began to search it out, and here's what I discovered. I discovered that the experience of being set free is very different from living a life of freedom. I'm gonna repeat that because it's very important that we don't confuse this. We have to be careful not to confuse that the experience of being set free is not the same as living a life of freedom. God's people were no longer slaves. Their circumstances had changed. Their reality is different. But you would guess that somebody forgot to tell them because the continuation of the story is familiar again to most of us. They have spent their 400 years, more than 400 years in Egypt. They've come out of it. They've crossed the Red Sea, and they are now only an 11-day walk from that promised land. 11 days. But they are free people with a slave mentality. They grumble, they complain, they're distrusting, and as a result, God makes those people, we know it, right, wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Mm. Can you imagine? Free, but heading nowhere. It's not unlike what many of us do after we've come to faith if we're being honest. We choose to follow Jesus as our Lord and we begin to hear all these great promises that he has, things like he has a plan and a purpose for you. He has called you and he has equipped you. His grace is sufficient for you and your weakness. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And yet we sit back and the promises seem to elude us somehow. What are we to do? This is where we need to pay attention to the second journey. It's fascinating to me that most of us know the end result of this next leg of the journey where the Israelites actually get to go in and take the promised land. You see, 40 years of this wandering, and God decides it's time to transition the leadership. So it transitions from Moses onto Joshua, and he says, it's time for you to go take that promised land. So they send the spies in, and they check it out, and they come back with these great reports. It's a very exciting time, okay? They're finally going to move. They're finally going to make it happen. Only there's one very large and very real problem. And now this is a detail that I think escapes most of us when we, when we hear or think about this story, but I believe wholeheartedly that it is truly one of the secrets to living a life of freedom. Do you know what that problem was? It wasn't the big people. It wasn't the big walls that surrounded the city. It was the Jordan River, another body of water standing in their way. And at this particular season, it was the rainy season. We can relate. They say that at this point, the Jordan River would have been in its flood stage. We can kind of relate. (laughs) They actually say that the Jordan River would have been as wide as a football field at this point, and the water would have just been moving at such rushing, rushing speeds in that area. So here we have it. The Israelites, the Jordan River, the Promised Land, 
and we've got a new leader in town, Joshua. And I find myself wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Well, fortunately, it's recorded for us. Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, Joshua says to the people, he says, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Okay. So I have not been a leader of a million people. That's fair to say. And I have definitely not been a leader of a million people who need to get across a raging river. But get your provisions? Isn't that like saying, pack up your food, people. Get your picnic ready. I kind of feel like if I were the leader, I would have been saying things like, all right, people, we've got three days. Let's build some boats, get some rafts, find your life jackets, practice your swimming skills. We're going to get wet, people. We're going. <laughs> That's not what Joshua told the people. He told them to get ready. And on day three, they begin moving toward the Jordan River. Now, here's an important part of the story for you to know. The Ark of the Covenant which represented like God's very presence, okay? Um, it was a very, very holy item. The Ark of the Covenant was to go before them. Actually, it was supposed to go about 3,000 feet before them so that all the people could see it as they began to navigate this journey towards their promised land, okay? So on that day, the third day, the priests pick up this Ark of the Covenant with their holy poles and they start walking straight for the river. Just imagine it. The priests begin to walk toward the water, but nothing's happening. <laughs> the priests get a little bit closer, and nothing. They're about five feet away from this raging river, and still, my friends, there is nothing. That river is moving at its full force. All I can think of is somebody in the crowd must have remembered the stories of the Red Sea. If I was there, I would probably be shouting, wait! Just wait, don't you remember the Red Sea? Moses told them to be still. But apparently nobody heard that story back then because nobody sounded off at that moment. So they keep walking. Four feet, three feet, two feet, nothing. The water continues to rush by. Now you need to understand that people have literally died for not taking proper care of the Ark of the Covenant. This was a big deal. But these priests are marching toward that muddy, overflowing river. Nothing's stopping them. They don't miss a beat. And they step out, and they literally walk right into the rushing water of the Jordan. And when they do, the Bible records what happens. It says in Joshua 3.16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. <laughs> Whoa, that's all I can say. They didn't have to be still this time. They didn't need to wait for it this time. God told them, eyes forward, focus on me, walk. And when they did, when they obeyed, when they stepped into it, he performed another amazing miracle, and he parted that water, and the entire nation of the Israelites moved across that river on dry land. Here's the thing, that day marked the beginning of the Israelites truly living a life of freedom. Face forward, eyes on God, and walking. That miracle at the river was just one of many miracles that God was gonna do in the process of the Israelites taking their promised land. But here's the thing, make no mistake about it, it was not all sunshine and roses. 
or junk food and country music. The Israelites encountered some really difficult circumstances on their way. But they knew what they needed to do, and they kept their eyes forward, and I got to tell you, it was a great journey. So much better than that wandering, right? So the logical question at this point is, what kind of journey are you on? Where in the journey are you? I would imagine that there's some in this room who can truly relate to the Israelites back in Egypt in the beginning. Things have been pretty good for you. You're doing okay. I mean, sure, you might drink too much once in a while or cheat the system at work because you know everybody does and you can. It's no big deal. Except that it is. And you may have been sensing it for some time now. And if you have, I would guess that you've done what most of us do. You start making effort to be better, to do better. But here's the truth of the matter. All these efforts on our own are always going to come up empty. That old slave master, he's going to keep shooting for us every time. So I want to tell you something. I want to echo, actually, the words of Moses to you. Remember what Moses said. He said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Long before any of us were born, God was orchestrating our Red Sea moment, a great miracle by which we could be saved from the slave, from the <coughs> slavery of sin. It was the death, and more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus. It was his work. He did it so that each of us could be free. All you need to do now is to be willing to accept the fact that he did and then start walking in his direction. So if you're feeling that, that nudge today, that little tug, that it's time for you to leave that life of slavery to a cruel master, I want to pray for you. We'll just take a moment. You don't have to pray these words out loud, but I'm going to pray, and if you would pray them silently with me, today can be your journey towards freedom. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I have been trapped by my own sin, and I am so sorry. Thank you for doing the miraculous, for making a way that I could be set free. Today, I stop trying to fix it on my own. I will be still and be in awe of the miracle that you did through Jesus. I now commit to a journey leading in your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to take another moment, and I want to address those of you who might relate a little bit more with the wanderers. Chances are you've been walking a life of faith for some time. You come to church, you pray, you do the things. But truth be told, you've struggled to really experience victories in your life or maybe to recognize the victories that are happening in your life. <clears throat> Chances are that you've got that end picture in mind. Remember the story of the Israelites? We remember that they get the promised land. But it's important for us to remember the journey. And I would guess that some of you are waiting for that Red Sea moment. You're waiting for God to part the waters. But the truth of the matter is, you're beyond that. God already did that move. You're now standing at your Jordan River moment where he is saying, eyes on me, face forward, and walk. Now I would guess I can know what many of you are thinking right now. But, but... What if it's not actually the Jordan River? What if, what if I have it wrong and I'm really about to cross the Euphrates River? And if it's not the Jordan River, then when I walk in it, then what's going to happen? I'm going to mess the whole thing up. I know that because I've been there. But the truth of the matter is that's a wandering mindset. 
The truth is if your eyes are forward, focused on God, and you start walking, the worst thing that's gonna happen is your feet are gonna get a little bit wet and your pride is gonna get a little bit hurt. There's a great verse in Isaiah, chapter 26, verse three, it says this. It says that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This life of focus on God, it is a peaceful life. It doesn't mean, again, that the journey is gonna be all sunshine and roses or junk food and country music. (laughs) They require us to walk through some very, very difficult times. But when we do indeed walk, and walk in a way that keeps God in front of us, it's a really great journey. So if that's you again, I wanna say a prayer, and I would just ask you to pray it silently with me, okay? Dear Jesus, you saved me. You set me free. Help me now to live in my freedom, to embrace the promises, to focus on you, and to walk when everything in me wants to be still. I am not in a Red Sea moment. I am in a Jordan River moment, and I will walk with my eyes focused, trusting in you to bring me on a truly great journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I told you I have three stories to share with you, right? The third story is going to sound much less epic than the first two and is probably even less familiar to most of us in the room than the details of number one or number two. It is the story of Elijah. Elijah was a very powerful prophet of God. You can read about him in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And in the days when Elijah lived, it was very common for a prophet to wear something called a mantle, which was kind of like a cloak. And it was just a sign of the power and and the privilege that really God put upon the prophets. So in this story, Elijah is getting ready to be taken to heaven. And he and his young protege, Elisha, I don't know why they had such similar names, are going from city to city and and visiting different places. And at one point in their journey, they come up to, you guessed it, the Jordan River. Now, when we read about this account in the Bible, nowhere do we hear a word from God. Nowhere does Elijah make some profound statement. Instead, here's what happens. Elijah just takes off that cloak and he rolls it up and he touches the water of the Jordan. And when he does, he and Elisha proceed to walk through on dry land. The the Lord parts the waters. They get to the other side. No fanfare, nothing else mentioned about it. But we soon after that hear a dialogue between Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah is asking Elisha what it is that he would like from him before he leaves. And Elisha says that he is just looking to have a double portion of that spirit that God put in Elijah. Well, it's not long after this that Elijah is swept away to heaven in the chariots of fire. Again, that part of it is pretty epic. Um, But he is swept away, and as he leaves, Elisha is left there standing by himself, except for one thing that remains from Elijah, his mantle, that cloak. So Elisha picks that up, and he turns around, and he starts to walk back the way that he came from. And sure enough, he comes to the Jordan River, and you know what he does? He rolls it up. He touches the water, the waters part, Elisha walks through, no big deal, he keeps moving forward. Only it is a big deal, isn't it? I'm gonna invite our ushers to start preparing for communion at this point. Here's what I want us to get from that journey, from that picture, that's really the goal, my friends. That's where God wants to bring us in our journeys. 
that keeping eyes focused on him, trusting in his power to keep parting the waters for us, it's just natural. And if you happen to be somebody who is in that season of your journey, that you've kind of figured out this navigating, and again, none of us does it perfectly, here's my challenge to you. It's time for you to go find an Elisha because there are people around you who would be so blessed to receive the blessing of what you discovered about living a life of freedom. So we're going to prepare to take communion this morning, and when we do that, the Bible tells us that we should take a moment and examine our hearts. So my hope is this morning, as you prepare to do that, that you will examine your heart, you'll examine where you are in these journeys and where it is that you've put God in that. May we never forget the great sacrifice that Jesus made, that amazing miracle that God did first that allows us the opportunity to continue walking some really great journeys. And my hope is that as we pass the elements this morning, the bread and the wine, that we'll be mindful and grateful and inspired to continue walking in a great journey with him.